Hello, food enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of the Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Line Miller, your interviewer for today. We're going to have a fun time today. We've got Dr. William Madden with us. He is a senior partner with Whole Brain Consulting. He has been doing all, all across the food space, anything you want to know about operations. He's our guy, and I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit of his wisdom. Welcome to the podcast, William. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. And I don't even know where to start other than why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do right now? And then maybe we'll go into a little bit of history after that. Yeah, sure. So I run the firm with my business partner, Brandon Hernandez. We have roughly 25 guys, well, 25 people who work for us. Young kid has about 20 years experience. Uh, The most senior guy has 56 years. (laughs) Everybody's been doing their particular tasks for how most of our clients' lifetimes at this point. Um, so they really understand their area. The way that we look at is our specialists go deep in particular areas. So while I know 35% of what there is to know about it, Chuck will know 110% of baking. So team members in quality are all, you know, high-risk food safety experts. The people in um, supply chain are all 20-year supply chain vets, you know, dealt with global-based supply chains. <clears throat> the people in coming and sourcing are former directors from Kellogg, ConAgra, Nestle, you know, so everybody's sort of an ace in their individual area. Yeah, that's a lot of big company experience that your people have that you can bring to bear now for your customers that, that you're currently working with. So who would come to you and, and what might they ask you for? Like, give us an idea of what whole brain consulting might do. Sure. So we have over 700 clients and they give them point. We have about 150 active projects. We do a couple hundred sourcing projects a year. Um, for figuring out where to get stuff made. So sometimes it's a client coming to us and saying, you know, there's a global pandemic and we make sanitizer. We are 200 million units short and every day is costing us millions of dollars. So who can make it? That particular instance, we found 15 co-packers inside of 30 days. It costs a fortune because I had three guys doing nothing but this all day and night, um, but we, we got it accomplished. And then we had, um, you know, You'll have guys who are just starting out. People who are like, you know, I have grandma's tomato sauce. I, you know, I really want to get it out there. Who can, who can make it for me? And uh, can you help me, you know, design it towards commercial, commercially friendly? Yeah. So I'm hearing you just, you're, you're not only filling in the gaps. I mean, you could do from end to end, but when somebody has a situation and they don't know how to do it or who to go to, to get it made or source it or figure it out, they're coming to you and your experts to help them do whatever it is they need to do. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we do a lot of uh, contract negotiations goal on that is I always tell my clients we need fair. I mean, I've only had one that wound up in litigation. All the rest of them seem to be holding strong or at least, uh, you know, have been renegotiated in a peaceful manner. Well, now we need fair. That's a really interesting thing to say in negotiations, but I guess you've got so much experience. You kind of know both sides, right? Because you've been there. Yeah. I mean, I started off on the co-man side and well, actually I started off on the brand side, wound up on the co-man side. So I understand what each other's personal brand of health looks like. And, you know, what what I found is that fair contracts hold and contracts are not win-wins. They're lose-loses. You just, <laughs> okay, you just, explain that, William. Well, Lose. here's the thing. A contract's viewed as a win-win because people got what they wanted. And the stuff that they lost on, they don't care about. 
So out of every contract, there's about a hundred things. And there's about four or five that either party really cares about. As long as those four or five are different, it goes really, really smooth. When those four or five start overlapping is when you have to get creative. That's when they lose a little bit and you lose a little bit. They don't get the level of flexibility that they wanted. You don't get the, um, you don't get exactly what you want, but it's finding that happy medium. That's something that both parties can live with. Yeah. I'm going to take that approach into my next negotiation. I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. And I think most people don't, obviously that's why you uh, brought that up, but, but you're right. When we're button heads on something, then I'm going to be more on the give side, you know, than I maybe want to be on that yeah. particular item if we've got to meet in the middle more than anything. Well, you talked also about supply chain and trying to figure out how to get things, you know, made and and how to do that. I know you've worked a lot in that area. What that is a big issue right now. What is your view of of what's happening, what the issues are, how we might solve them? You know, what's your perspective? Well, currently unemployment, I believe the latest figure is 3.5% unemployment, which is considered full employment. You still have two job openings for every person who's applying. So, you know, we need to figure out how to get more people quickly in the U.S. Wages continue to rise because companies are basically bidding for labor. You have people like Amazon who came out and said $18 an hour minimum wage. Government's been whipping around for 20 years on trying to get it up. Amazon managed to increase the minimum wage around the country overnight because they have warehouses literally everywhere. So the average manufacturing plan inside the budget planned on people working 10% OT. Well, as raises, as wages increased, people didn't have to work overtime. You know, it's like I used to have to work overtime so little Jimmy could have shoes to play soccer. Well, now with my wage going from $12 to $19, I don't have to do that. I can actually watch little Jimmy play soccer. And so if I don't have to work the weekends and I've just come out of a pandemic where it's made me reassess my life and what's important, I'm not going to. And that further exacerbates a problem that we already have with labor. I'm really concerned that, you know, with recent Fed increases, that it's going to make capital so much more expensive when it's already at a high. You know, the way that you're going to solve these labor issues is through automation. Used to be automation was, when does it pay out? Do I get more widgets? Do I get people off the line? Whatever it is. Now it's return on investment for sure. Yeah. Yeah, now it's, I don't have enough people to operate my line without it. You know, I'm deciding which line runs today. So people are buying equipment left and right. The issue you have is, you know, when it's 3% money or 2% money versus 6, 8, and 10% money, it makes it a lot tougher to be able to afford it. Right. So I, I think they haven't taken a lot of, and in their defense, it's not something we've seen before. We've never seen this kind of issue. The other part of it is the world operated on just in time. We've been driving costs out of our system since the 40s. And we did a really, really, really good job of it. Problem is we didn't plan for everything to stop and then start again. So so we're playing catch up when we don't have the people to run the lines to play catch up. They're competing for all the raw materials coming in because we stopped producing and mining raw materials. So everything's playing catch up in the system. The ports get clogged because for a period they weren't receiving stuff. So then a boat that's scheduled for 26 to 32 day sailing has 109 day sailing. That means he's missed three crossings. Yeah. You know, well, so. and the people, 
the people are still on the boat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, for, for another problem, I wouldn't want to get on another boat after I was held over three times longer than I needed to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, hey, people want to go home and see their family eventually. It, you know, money's no good if you can't spend it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you had all these ports that were shut down that happened to be home countries of these people. So they couldn't get off the boat. Mm-hmm. They couldn't, they weren't pulling into the ports where, you know, they were based out of. Mm-hmm. And so you had people who you know, signed up for a three hour, three month mission and they're on the boats for a year and a half. Well, so we have like, it's kind of like the perfect storm I'm hearing you describe a little bit. We, yeah. we had several things on multiple levels that all are contributing to this issue with supply chain and, and sourcing. And I mean, what's the, what's the future look like? What do you see? I mean, do you have an, op- so, an idea? So a lot of boats have come out of dry dock and have been put on with efficiency scrubbers and stuff like that. So they can meet, um, you know, different environmental guidelines. You know, there are boats that are on order. And the price of like bulk goods, so think like your grains, your coal, stuff like that, price for shipping is off like 35% in the last 90 days. Mm-hmm. So that's starting to come back. Well, keep in mind, they were up 10 times. So being off 35% is still seven times higher than historically, six times higher than historically. And there's a bit of exaggeration, it might be four times higher than historically, but it's still significantly more. So I wouldn't be worried about Starbolt making any money. They're going to be just fine. Um, so some of that's coming in, which hopefully will filter into the raw material costs. You know, coal goes into, goes into making steel and start, you know, the iron ore start coming down because the transportation costs are coming down, which then helps steel get cheaper, which helps equipment get cheaper. You know, but yeah, that's but a 12-month cycle. The average person is concerned about going to the grocery store and, you know, not finding inventory on the shelves or the inventory we do find is really expensive. I mean, that's... Yes. That's what's happening right now with, you know, kind of bringing us back to the food space. That's that's really a, a big issue. But but all the other things play into our shortage in the food space, right? Because the manufacturers need all the other things to be happening so they can make the things that we are buying at the store. Yeah. And about 60% of our clients that I know of, and again, I'm on the upside, I'm not on the sales side, okay. have expressed that they've given uh, price increases in the double digits. Wow. I actually was on with an investor friend of mine just previous to this called in a portfolio review and um, every single one of their investments had taken price. Okay. They just didn't have a choice. And the brands that haven't taken price are struggling to keep their lights on, negative gross margins, negative contribution margins. Like basically everybody has to. And the holdouts where you're like, oh, you know, so-and-so's waffles are still $4.99. They're yeah. either going to be out of business or those are going to be $6.99. Right. You know? Well, I think Costco's hot dog and a Coke are still a dollar fifty forever. I'm not sure how that that's gonna last. That's that's oh. different. He's actually came out publicly and said he's committed to keeping that price. I know. Well, that's uh, costing a lot of money. Oh, yeah. So especially as the prices go up. All right. So the shipping situation and and trying to get those raw materials, then then once we if if shipping is even involved, I mean, even within a country, the the, uh, on the road costs are outrageously expensive. Outrageous. They're horrific. So you have a baseline cost for a truck, you know, from A to B, it's four thousand dollars. But then you also have a fuel surcharge. That's based off of some mythical number that was established a kajillion years ago. And 
nobody knows the math on it. It's just a random amount of money that's tacked on to your bill. I mean, there is math behind it and everything like that. I'm sure if I had, you know, Tiffany, Steve, Sarah, one of them on the call, they'd be like, oh no, here's a mathematical calculation. You can, Somebody you know, in your organization knows the calculation. Oh, yeah. It, it, you know, and right now would be cringing being like, you idiot. It's such and such. That's so obvious. You know, um, like I said, 35%, they're under 10%. Right. But you know, that's a variable cost that just keeps, you know, spiraling, spiraling around. But the base cost of shipping has gone up. I mean, you know, it, we had a shortage of drivers before the pandemic. And then you had a lot of guys who made a lot more money doing in town. Mm. So why are they going to, you know, go out of town? The cost for rigs has gone up dramatically. I was meeting with the trucking company two weeks ago in Valdosta. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're paying three times for their used trucks. Wow. what they used to pay. Oh my goodness. Uh, like it's just the used market is not that much cheaper than the new market. Wow. It, 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 it's rough. And you know, you have to, you have to amortize those trucks. You have to pay those people. You have to replace trucks. And there's a two year period where they weren't really replacing trucks and yeah. no one was getting trained to drive big rigs. Yeah. Wow. And people retire. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Well, we're, we're hoping that, you know, things start to catch up and that, that, starts to play out a little bit, a little bit better. But in the meantime, what are some of your clients doing to try to mitigate their problems in this area? You know, are they making some changes in how they're, I don't know, how they're warehousing things or how they're manufacturing things or. So we've had a lot of clients trying to figure out how to put this politically correct. Okay. There isn't really one. They've just given up, you know, they're sitting there and their ops teams are constant revolving doors. Their costs are spiraling just out of control left and right and just started turning stuff over to us. I mean, I'm on a three-month backlog right now of taking over supply chains for clients and it's just everybody wants out of it. It's It was hard normally. It's really, really hard now. I mean, we, you know, I constantly hiring in, in that group. You know, we've opened, open, we normally weren't resume hires. We haven't had a choice on this, this one. Okay. It's just hard. So what you have to do is look at your entire value system and you have to have people who predict where your problems are going to be. Yeah. Um, what we've seen is that there's been more efficiency in trucking since the prices have gone up, okay. that the differential between LTL and full pallets are um, decreasing once you hit about the 11 pallet mark. It's the, the whole thing has just become trigonometry now. Wow. And it used to be a game of, you know, addition and subtraction. You used to play checkers, you know, now you have to play chess. Oh, and wow. <laughs> that's, it's not what's today's problem. It's what's going to be tomorrow and next week's problem. So for our listeners out there, if anybody has a good logistics background or is looking for a new career, logistics might be a great place for you to dig in because there seems to be a lot of opportunity to solve problems. Feel free to free. free. Feel free to email me. <laughs> Feel free to email me and Tiffany will be the one interviewing you. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're not alone in that area. If, if clients are coming to you to kind of contract it out, they're obviously not able to uh, be able to do that on their own. And they're just kind of like, help, I, I need. Well, and there's so many different areas that they have to concentrate on their business right now. You've got to figure out, you know, with all the privacy law changes, all your D to C brands are figuring out a brave new world. True. You know, all the retail brands, you start having some retailers that are starting to have planogram reviews now that hadn't had it in a year and others who aren't and figuring out who, what, where, when, how they're doing it, getting samples. 
you know, it, they're starting that front end engine, you know, back up and, you know, and then the guys who were D to C who were very successful, they kind of changed the playbook on those poor guys. They did, so. you know, the, the um, and interesting, I mean, we as consumers have changed our buying habits as well. Oh, so yeah. it's not like this pandemic situation here, uh, the big you know, the elephant in the middle of the room prior to it, you can't now go back to the way it was prior to, cause it's changed, you know, the whole, whole buying situation has changed. So you can't necessarily your, your supplies and where you're doing them. So many more people from what I've heard and interviews on this podcast, people that never would think about buying online, like they're very comfortable with it now would never imagine ordering any kind of food uh, ready-made or otherwise online that's now a norm. And, and so I can imagine that companies in the food space are, you know, reeling, just trying to figure out they, they can't even, you know, the goalposts have changed. My, my 77 year old mother is actually sending me Amazon packages. This is the same <laughs> woman who my entire life would go to the store, buy it, wrap it up in a box, go to the post office, mail the thing to me. Okay. Right. Same woman's just like, Billy, did you know that I can just click on it and it'll send it right to you? It'll go right to your house, Billy. I'm like, yes, mom. That's literally how I've gotten your birth. I'm like, mom, you know, you can click the gift option and it'll wrap it. She's like, no, (laughs) it'll wrap your gift, Billy. I'm like, yes, you can send it to the grant. She's like, this is amazing. Why didn't you tell me before? I'm like, I literally told you for years, mom. But yeah, my 77-year-old mother has changed. I'll call you William and mine's 82 (laughs) and I'm scared to death because she's got an Amazon Prime membership now. (laughs) Katie, bar the doors. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen. But to your point, this is a profile of a consumer who never would be buying online, always had to go there, touch it, feel it, see, you know, if they were going to buy fruit in the the grocery store, they're going to look at it. They're not going to just order it to be delivered, but that, that has all changed. So yeah, things are reeling. Well, Whole Brain Consulting will have a, a steady stream of, of clients uh, for years to come. I'm sure just trying to work through all this. Uh, what other kinds of things are you doing there that are, might be of interest to our future Foodcast listeners? That well, you- actually a lot of retailers have been looking at how they go to market. Um, okay. One thing that we found surprising is you have like specialty retailers who will have niche categories for them that are significant volume that are related to their primary business, but isn't their primary business. So I'm a two, $3 billion company and I have this $50 million business, but my $50 million business is only filled at a 60% rate. Well, how, how it is, how we're doing this, right. We've actually had a couple of them come to us and be like, look, we know we're not doing it right. We just don't know where it's not right. Can you help us figure it out? And, you know, it was outside of our skill set and we've done it three or four times and we actually got good, good at it. You have a lot of QSRs, quick service restaurants who, you know, probably pride themselves on, we make it here and things like that are migrating away from it. They're like, Hey, um, all right. I, I have a labor problem in my stores. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm lucky if two out of the three people show up to work each day, how do I mitigate the issues that I'm having there? Well, I can have, you know, the sandwich made offsite and mm-hmm. shipped to my stores and thought out, well, all of a sudden they have to figure out how do I get a frozen program together? Oh, wow. You know, everything we have is refrigerated through Cisco. And now all of a sudden I have frozen goods going clear across the country. 
and figuring that whole mess out and you know dedicated SKUs and how is it that I can have something proprietary to me yet actually get it there and have it not be FedExed, you know? So, oh, all sorts of just weird stuff going on that you know wasn't a problem for three years ago. Right, and now people are having to yeah because everything everything has changed. Well, and also there's like the um, talk about not making things on site, kind of the the ghost kitchens or the uh, there's different names for them. I guess is that a solution? Maybe some of your clients are investigating too, or they have a shared space, or no. So smaller companies will do that. What we've seen that's sort of like that is in the beverage business. There's been certain co-packers that have been setting up like regional hubs. And beverage is real expensive to ship. You don't put a lot of it on the truck. You, you know, you send in any kind of distance and you're losing money. So there's one group that in particular, I think they have between four and six plants. I'm trying to remember what it is, but they have them strategically located. And instead of having a bottling line that'll do six or 800 a minute, they have bottling lines that'll do 50 to hundred a minute, mm-hmm. but they'll have them in Atlanta. They'll have them in Arizona. They'll have them in Washington. They'll have them in, you know, Chicago. And so your customer order and they'll store on site. So your customer orders aren't going that